So this week, we are continuing our series in 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapters, uh, chapter 2 and just two verses, uh, verses 9 to 10. The title of our sermon this morning is Who We Are. Who We Are. So last week, our, in our journey through 1 Peter, we, we read a lot about who Christ is and what he is building out of us. And we rested in the truth of, of Christ as the cornerstone, the rock that the rest of the church, that, that each of us as, as individuals is built into. This week, as we continue, we see Peter telling us who, who we are, who the church is, and, and who we are as individuals as he dumps another bucket of grace and good news over the heads of a scattered and hurting, persecuted and distraught group of churches in Asia Minor. As we read and work through this short passage this morning, may we also feel the bucket of grace and good news wash over us. May this text and these words encourage us for the mission ahead and strengthen us in who our qualifications for mission lie. For they have been rooted, built on the cornerstone. On Jesus Christ. Let us read the word of the Lord this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. pray this in your name. Amen. Nikki Cruz was born in 1938 in Puerto Rico. His parents mentally abused him, calling him the son of Satan. The neighborhood in which he lived was one of the worst in in Puerto Rico, and Nicky was constantly getting into trouble. When he was 15, his parents sent him to live with his brother in New York City. Cruz soon ran away from his brother's place and started living on the streets, where he became a member of the Mau Mau's street gang. And within six months of, of being a member, he was selected as their warlord. It didn't take the the brutal and vicious young man long to be promoted from warlord to president. And then one day, shortly after Cruz became the leader of the Mau Mau's, he he encountered a man named David Wilkerson, who was preaching in their neighborhood. This this preacher told Nicky that Jesus loved him and would never stop loving him. Cruz responded by slapping the evangelist in the face and threatening to kill him. Wilkerson would not be intimidated, however. He returned, he returned a few times and each time received the same response until one night when Cruz came to an evangelistic meeting that Wilkerson was holding and he felt the conviction of his sin, his need for repentance, and the young gang leader began to pray. During this meeting, Wilkerson prayed with Cruz and Cruz asked God to forgive him. Nicky Cruz had gone from leading a violent street gang to having a relationship with the Lord. It's amazing the change that can happen in a person's life. 
It's amazing how we can, we can have these plans, have this direction that our life is going, or that, that we think it's going, and then suddenly things are totally different. For some of us, that change, like Nikki's is or was, going to be pretty drastic. Nikki went from gangbanging to Bible-thumping, to borrow a crude couple of terms. And for some of us, the change in our life might be like Nikki Cruz's or, or like the Apostle Paul's, who went from killing Christians to, to teaching them and preaching to them and planting churches. But for many of us, the change is or was a bit more subtle. Some of us have, have felt the call to this change. We resisted in our own ways. We're, we're pretty content just going about our business. Yes, we know the Lord. Yes, we have a relationship with him, but, but that's where it stays. We don't take it. We don't let it get any farther along than that. We have the jobs that we're working. We have the career path that we are on, and we're perfectly content to mind our own business, keep our head down, get our job done. We have our devotional time. You know, we, we be a faithful attender and tither at our church. And, and then we make sure that, that those two areas of our lives, our working and, and our church life, are, are completely separate. Because some change, some change is just a bit too awkward to handle, right? What if people knew I was a Christian? How, how would they react to me? The, the social perception of Christianity right now isn't exactly very accurate for what Christians are called to be. And what if people lump me in with all those famous faces that I disagree with? How do I talk about my faith well? Isn't someone else better qualified for that? Like, like you, Pastor. Like, isn't that your job? Aren't you the one who is supposed to, you know, be changed like this? Not me. You, you had a different profession. And, and now you have this one. So, so you obviously you're supposed to be doing this. Well... Well, I hang out in the, the comfortable anonymity of my faith. Do you find yourself asking any of these questions this morning? Or relating to them? Maybe coming to some of these conclusions? The change that I'm talking about this morning is described in verse 9 of our text where we read, But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're going to focus on the last half of the verse first, where it says, Who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There was a time when everyone was in darkness. That's our, that's our natural habitat. That is where we start. I'm sure many of us have seen the pictures and videos going around of little babies from different ethnic backgrounds hugging each other and the taglines that, you know, we aren't born racist. Racism is taught. And that goes along with this thought that, that we come out of the womb taking our first breath of air, innocent little angels. It does my heart good to see those two little kids running towards each other and giving each other a huge hug. But you put those two kids in a room with toys and it won't be long before they will be fighting. Anyone who has kids knows that we don't teach our kids to do all the things we don't want them to do. Kids are wonderful. They are gifts from God. They are blessings. And kids are selfish little sinners who need discipline and forgiveness, just like the rest of us do. Each of us starts in a place of darkness. And then we are called out of that darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. 
And as he has called us into that light, listen to what he has declared you to be. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now let's just rest in that for a minute. You are chosen. We've been beating this drum for a while now because Peter has been beating this drum for a while now. And since he is insistent on repeating it, so should we be. You are important to God. You are special to him. He loves you. He wants you. Even if you don't have a relationship with him or don't feel like you're particularly close to him right now, he is pursuing you, desiring you. He loves you and he wants you and there isn't anything that's going to change that. Like Nikki Cruz, you can slap the messenger in the face and threaten to kill them. But that's not going to change the message. And notice that Peter says, a chosen race. Now in today's social climate, that can be taken into some pretty drastic and distracting tangents. Peter's not saying that once we are Christian, that we all adopt the same skin tone, right? Let's remember that everyone is made in the image of God, and so all skin colors, genetic markers, are a reflection of the image of God. Peter is also not saying that when we become Christians, we have to give up our culture. God's personality and the essence of the gospel message are reflected in the diverse and wonderful cultures that he has given us. No, when Peter says a chosen race, he is not talking, talking about homogenizing the church and desiring that we all look alike or talk alike or share the same culture. When Peter declares that we are a chosen race, he is connecting the Christians in Asia Minor, the Gentiles, us today. He is connecting us to God's promise to restore and renew Israel through a second exodus. The Gospels and the book of Acts take up Isaiah's language to show that Jesus was a new and better Moses who led a second exodus, not out of Egypt, but out of the darkness, out of the bondage of sin and death, and that Jesus did this through his own life, death and resurrection. We see Peter further drive this point home when he uses the language of Hosea in verse 10 of our text this morning. And Hosea 1, the prophet, looks forward to the day when God would restore Israel after having rejected them. But because of their idolatry, God declared that he would show no mercy and that Israel would now be not my people and that yet one day the number of the children of Israel will be like the sand of the seashore and they will be called children of the living God. In verse 10 of our text this morning, Peter is writing to a Gentile church, a church that is not made up of the people of Israel, and he is saying, Hosea was talking about you. Church, Calvary, Hosea was talking about you. Though you were not God's people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. What a connection to make. What a fantastic, wonderful connection for us, the scattered and hurting church, to know that we have been chosen. That as Christians, we are part of the chosen people. That we are Israel. That no matter your skin color, your culture, your accent, your genetic markers, no matter what the eyes of those around us may see, we are each part of the chosen race. We are each part of Israel. 
We are each a part of the church. You, Christian, are a part of the church. The church that Peter refers to as a royal priesthood. We saw this term last week as well when Peter called the Christians a a holy priesthood. and, And then went on to say that they were able to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why all this talk about a priesthood? Before Christ, there needed to be an intercessor between the people and God. In the temple and tabernacles before it, there was a back, a back area that was separated from the rest of the worshiping grounds by a huge thick curtain, a veil. And back there was called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Only the, the high priest could go back there and only on Yom Kippur. If anyone else were to go back into the Holy of Holies, they would, they would die. Only the high priest could approach God. Further, it was the priests who made sacrifices for the people. So it was the priests who would perform the work, sacrifice the animal that would give you forgiveness, that would put you in good standing with God. They were the emissaries between God and man. And Peter is calling us a holy and royal priesthood. How? Why? In a word, or more accurately, in a name, Jesus. When we are putting our kids at bed at night, they they each go around and take their turns praying. Often, the prayers are about how much they are hoping to enjoy the next day. The gifts that they would like to receive on their birthday or Christmas. Or prayers for health, particularly for the little one that Karen is carrying right now. But whatever... The content of their prayer, no matter the length or the winding and weaving story, the prayer ends with, in Jesus' name, amen. It is through Jesus' name that we now have access to God, and he hears our prayers, and through Jesus' name that we have forgiveness. We don't need someone to speak to the Father, to speak to God on our behalf anymore because of Jesus. He is the one that is fulfilling that role. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, because he paid the price for all sin and for all time, we can have a relationship with God and God will hear our prayers. No longer do we need another person to speak to God on our behalf because now we have the true high priest. We have Jesus doing that for us. We read in the crucifixion account from Matthew that when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn. There was no longer a need for a human high priest, for Jesus had donned the garments and filled the role. No longer do we need to offer sacrifices or penance for sin. Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the penance. And so now we can go to God and ask for forgiveness, and he gives it to us freely on account of Christ. And so now, instead of just a select few, instead of needing the qualifications of being a descendant of Aaron, born into the tribe of Levi, you, me, all of us can go before the throne of the living God, can have relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. We do not need someone to approach him on our behalf, for Jesus has done that. And so all of us are on the same footing before the Father. Each Christian is a member of Of the royal priesthood. Now, God has set up an order to the organizational structure of the church, and we see that in some of the Pauline epistles. But that structure does not make those who are put in leadership more important or special to God. 
So yeah, I, I'm your pastor, right? But that, that means that I have felt a, a special call in my life to serve God by serving his church. Yes, I've been to school and I've been affirmed by our synod, by the leaders of our denomination is qualified to teach and lead. But that does not mean that I am any more important or qualified in the eyes of God for kingdom work than you are. God doesn't prioritize listening to my prayers over listening to yours. I am no more special to God than any of you are. We are all equal before the throne of God. And on one hand, that's encouraging. And on the other hand, that's a little daunting, isn't it? Because it means that each of us are being called to kingdom work. Each of us are called to proclaim the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Each of us are called to be a part of God's mission to bring about his kingdom. And man, we do not feel qualified, do we? We've been working through the book of Nehemiah in our weekday Bible study this spring. For those of us that that don't know, Nehemiah was an Israelite in exile in Babylon, and he felt God calling him to return home to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls around the city and to rebuild the temple. The Lord is with him, and he secures supplies, safe passage, and the blessings of the king of Babylon And once he gets to Jerusalem and assesses the damage, he organizes people to help with the construction of the wall. And of course, though there are those who are helping with the building, there are also those who are against the construction that prefer Israel beaten down and her walls destroyed. And so the builders are pounding nails in the wall with a hammer in one hand and in uh, a sword in the other, doing the work that they are called to do while also being ready to defend themselves and what they have built. Now that alone is a beautiful and instructive picture for us as we look at the kingdom work that God has given to his holy priesthood. But we often figure, well, I mean, those guys knew what they were doing. This is like pastors, right? Like, like this, is, this is like the guys that are elected to leadership roles, Right? I don't have the giftings that they do. I don't have the courage that they have. I don't have the training or experience. I don't know how to pound nails. I don't know how they do what they do. So it's, it's better for me to just sit back and relax and enjoy watching the kingdom being built. Right? And then we come to a passage in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8, that we ended up referencing a lot in our study. The whole chapter, uh, the, whole, the whole of chapter 3, Nehemiah is giving a list of names of those who are working on the wall, those who are banging nails, and, and what part of the wall they were working on. And then in verse 8, we read, Next to them, Uziel, and I'm going to butcher these names because that's what I do with these names, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. That's a couple of goldsmiths, guys who make jewelry, and a guy who makes perfume banging nails, doing kingdom work. They have no worldly qualifications to to be hefting a sword or wielding a hammer. They do delicate work with nimble hands, and yet though they seem to be incredibly unqualified, there they are, part of the body, part of the nation of Israel, part of the church doing the work of the kingdom. And so it is for us. 
We are each declared by God members of a royal priesthood. And he wants to use each of us, no matter how much gold we may smith or how much perfume we may make, no matter how unqualified we feel, he wants to use each of us in his mission. And man, that's incredibly exciting, but it's also incredibly daunting, a bit overwhelming, and at times, pretty stinking scary. For though we rejoice in the affirmation that we have from God, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that we may be part of his mission and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that means, that means that we may have to do some crazy hard things. Nicky Cruz, after his conversion, recognized that he wasn't just supposed to sit in his salvation, but that he was to proclaim it. He ended up going to a Bible college and became a preacher. And then he did what it can be incredibly hard to do. What it can be incredibly hard to do. He went back to the streets that he terrorized as the warlord of a gang and began ministering, proclaiming the gospel to men and boys he had once led. And the Lord used him, used his life to bring more of the Mau Mau's out of darkness and into the glorious light of salvation. If you'd like to know more of Nikki's story and the story of David Wilkerson, I'd encourage you to read the book or even watch the video adaptation of it, The Cross and the Switchblade. If God can redeem a violent kid off the streets, a kid who a court-ordered psychiatrist declared was destined for prison, the electric chair in hell, if God can use this man to further the kingdom, to pound nails on the wall, if he can use Moses, the stutterer, to bring his people out of bondage in Egypt, if he can use David, a young boy, to topple a giant that, has grown, that, that held grown men in fear, if he can use Samson, the disgrace of a judge, to end the Philistine threat, if he can use a goldsmith and a perfume maker to pound nails on a construction site, what makes us think? That God can't use us. He can. And he will. Church, rest in the grace that God has poured out over you. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has had mercy on you. Rest in that. Rest in that. Rest in in the gifts and the passion that he has given you, and know that it is his purpose to use those gifts and those passions as part of his kingdom work. Church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let us go forth and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Pick up your sword. Pick up your hammer and go bang some nails for your rest in the truth that our church has a mission. Sorry, let us rest in the truth that it's not that our church has a mission. It's that God's mission has a church. What a fantastic, wonderful, amazing, gracious, and loving God we serve. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for... We thank you for the grace that you have put out over us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us, that you have declared us yours, that you have set us apart, that you are our qualification for ministry, that though we, we may not feel like we have the gifts or talents or experience or 
guts or courage or strength to be a part of your mission, that, Lord, you are our qualification, that you have given each of us gifts to use in your mission, that you have called each of us, that you have declared us to be a royal priesthood. What a wonderful gift and what a wonderful blessing, Lord. May we rest in that as we go forward and join your mission to bring about your kingdom. God, as we rest in this, let us pray together as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.